Good morning. Uh, God bless you. Uh, it's really good to see you this morning. Um, who remembers the song, um, I See the Lord Seated on the Throne? You going to sing it for us, Mons? No? Joe? Hey, well, it's taken from the scripture in Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to read it to you now. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet. And with two they flew and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Just put a marker in that scripture. There comes a point, friends, in one's life, which some may call the sort of watersheds or moments of clarity, revelation that challenges perhaps all that you have held dear, your philosophies, your, your very way of life, who you are, and what you've become. And I say a point in life, perhaps there are points in your life and uh, what I wrote about 16 years ago in a sermon, I titled it Polaroid Jesus. And I've been encouraged this morning to, to revisit it. Now, hands up those under 30. And we've got under, not many under 30s in the room who know what a Polaroid is. You put your hand up. Go on then. Absolutely. So you older ones will remember the Polaroid pictures. Instead, before we had iPhones and ones you could take instant camera pictures, which we, we never print off, do we? Right? We keep them on the cloud somewhere. We used to have, uh, young, I'll talk to the younger ones here. Uh, you're under 30, aren't you? No. <laughs> you're under 30? No, of course. <laughs> and you press the button. And I don't know how long you used to wait. You used to wait and it come out and it would look blank first and then you had to do that didn't you and then suddenly you get the picture and that was your instant picture and then you stick it in your photo albums and that's what you used to do back in the day before we had the technology we've got now and um funny enough that that is a polaroid picture of one of my children can you guess which one sorry is it nehemiah it's not nehemiah it's tali my 16-year-old. And you know what? I was just watching uh, uh, the kids up here, how well-behaved they were, how they just did it like that. I'm thinking, my goodness, the training that's going on there. And I was looking at my son over there, watching him, not sitting still, thinking, am I going to have to get up to him? I need to get some lessons from, uh, from you, Andrew and Gemma, on that. But God, God, God bless them. And certainly lessons for the 16-year-old up there. Trust me. God bless her. She's not here, so I can say that. And none of you report on me, or I'll get it later. Right. Okay, so a Polaroid or a Polaroid camera was then a high-tech device. It was high-tech to take those instant pictures. And about 16 years ago, roughly that time, I took that picture of my, my then daughter. And I think I showed it at the, at the personal, almost like a death we have. And perhaps the liberation we get 
when we, when we come to a situation, like the prophet Isaiah, when we get a revelation of God, a revelation of Jesus Christ that we haven't had before. And for the prophet, that was something new to see the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. And I'm not just talking about us coming to Christ for the first time, which I hope all of us in this room have. And if we haven't, there's an opportunity today for you to make that step. But for us, many of us, each day in this, in this church, part of this congregation, and I spoke back then about the, that next encounter, that next revelation of Jesus that will come to you because our journey with the Lord isn't static and our revelation of who Jesus is becomes more vivid as we go along on a Christian journey. And 16 years later, that in next encounter has been brought to my mind. And I trust by the Spirit to you. A few weeks ago, our sister Chidi, remember we interviewed Chidi about her life story, a testimony in the book she's written? And some of the things she said brought me back to this, to this sermon that I'd written some time ago. Now, we all have a snapshot idea of who Jesus is. That Polaroid picture of Jesus, a view of who he is and how therefore he interacts and affects our everyday lives. And that personal pause, that, that change, almost a, a death of the old, I want to talk about in relation to this, is not a literal one, obviously, but like the prophet Isaiah, who feared death on the encounter with this new revelation of God. I'm talking about the ending of the status quo, the way things are, the ending or the changing of our current worldview. Because when we have this encounter, this new encounter, our paradigm changes. This new revelation of Christ changes things. This encounter with Jesus this new encounter with Jesus will, I believe, provoke a reaction in every human being. The reaction varies when you see him face to face for the first time in the spirit. And I guess at the time when Jesus first appeared on the earth, some believed him to be crazy. That was a reaction some people had. Some were violently angry, as we know. Some were perhaps indifferent and just walked away. And obviously, as we see here today, some have accepted him wholeheartedly like us. And I trust there's no one in this room today who's standing on the fence who's indifferent because to this morning, there will be a reaction to Jesus one way or the other. And I wonder this morning, what is your reaction to Jesus today? Seasoned Christian, someone just looking in on the edge, someone who feels something emerging. What is your reaction now? The Bible tells us about a man called Saul in the New Testament who persecuted the then early church thinking he was doing the will of God until he had a dramatic encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and the result of which led to his dramatic transformation and he became almost the antithesis of himself, a Christian, changing his name from Saul to Paul, going on to be one of the historic pillars of the church. And his new revelation had dramatic consequences on his then life. All that he had built his life upon was in ruins. His status, his philosophies, his dreams, his friendships, how he sustained himself was dashed as he was faced with the reality of what holding a new Polaroid picture of Jesus was. 
a new revelation of Christ, what it meant for Saul was death, the death of his former self and who he was. And he described it so eloquently in his letter to the Philippians. He said uh, in verse, uh, from verse three, uh, chapter three, verse seven, he says, what things were gained to me, I count on account of Christ is lost. I count also all these things to be lost on the account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus, my Lord, on account of whom I have suffered the loss of all and count them to be filth that I may gain Christ. Now we all have a virtual, I would say, Polaroid picture of Jesus tucked in our wallets, in the dusty boxes of our mind. And I wonder, I wonder what does yours look like today? What does it represent? What does it mean to you? What does it endorse for you today? What does it do to affect your everyday, every day, as opposed to what it did yesterday or even yesteryear? Jesus, when he was on earth, wanted the same thing of people, wondering what image do the people have of him? And famously, he asked one of his disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And he got myriad of responses. Some say John the Baptist, uh, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned to them and said to him, who do you say that I am? And he responded with a great revelation, a God the Father inspired picture of Jesus with a response that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Saul, who became Paul, didn't recognize Jesus immediately when the Lord presented himself on that great scene on the road to Damascus. Because he asked, who are you, Lord? And perhaps that is a question a few of you will be asking this morning, those of you who don't know him yet. And you may be like Saul this morning, carrying metaphorically with you a distorted Polaroid of Jesus. Saul's image of Christ was that of a heretic. Yours today might be of a liar, a lunatic, or just a good man. Well, interestingly, Saul's encounter with the risen Jesus on that day was a real revelation, not just because it was an amazing spectacle. More than that, because it resulted in the death, the death of his current life. And the previous picture he had of Jesus, that Polaroid of Jesus he carried, which motivated him to hunt down uh, the early church, to kill them, to persecute them. That distortion, he was now presented with a new one, a new picture that transformed not only his name from Saul to Paul, but into a man that transformed the dead known world for Christ, leaving a legacy that we still benefit from today. Reading as we do the New Testament, the majority of which was inspired uh, by God for him to write. And you see, a true revelation of Jesus Christ will cause a death in you. The death of the current view of, 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 of Jesus, the current view of your life. And it's in, it is this process that will radically transform you. His Holy Spirit will make this revelation more profound to you. He will fill you with his very essence, a process that starts to transform your identity for the better. And I suppose this process has been happening for, for centuries. It has been where the indifferent become the passionate. The vilest offender becomes a holy agent for godly change. And friends, that life-changing revelation, as I said, isn't a one-off 
occasion that happens when we finally surrender to Jesus. At our conversion, it goes throughout our walk of faith, a lifelong journey with Christ. And as Christians, there will be new Damascus experiences that may be as dramatic as Paul's, but might be just incremental. You suddenly look back and think things are changing. Our mindset's changing, our worldview's changing. When we're faced with this new image of who Christ is and what he means to us. And when we think of, think about it, an infinite God, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, trying to keep him static in a static image, a concept of him that we use to help with our everyday, everyday. If you think about it, it's quite futile because to grasp his depths is like trying to explain, I don't know, the intricacies of um, quantum mechanics to a, an amoeba. That's the depth we'd have to go. And of course, God knew this. He knew this. He knew this when he considered his dealings with mankind. And so the incarnation of Christ was the answer. Jesus, the Godhead becoming the Christ, becoming man. It helped us to provide that bridge to that huge leap towards the Almighty. As Christ said, when you see him, you see the Father. Now, having said that, even then, our concept of Christ in our understanding should not be static. It is a constant, as I said, a lifelong revelation. And think about the Apostle John, who we have every reason to believe was very close to Jesus in his part of his inner circle of the 12 disciples. John was probably the unnamed disciple of whom the Bible says, the one whom Jesus loved. And of the three prominent members of the 12, Peter, James, and John, only John appears to answer the description of the beloved disciple. This John remained faithful at the cross, and it was he that was charged by Jesus at the cross, the cross to take care of his, his mother Mary. So you would imagine that John knew Jesus very well. And yet, we can see in those three years of walking intimately with him that he never failed to be surprised by a new revelation of Jesus or wasn't given too long by Jesus to get used to that Polaroid picture of Christ that he carried. At the transfiguration, when uh, he with uh, James and Peter, he beheld the spectacle of Jesus' physical form being transformed and he was joined then by the the miraculous sight of the long departed uh, prophets, uh, uh, Moses and Elijah. Do you believe that John then could have viewed Jesus in the same way after that? Do you believe that? I think not. I think he had to reevaluate the perception very quickly and he had to embrace a new one. And that same John, who was cast out on the Isle of Patmos, he was out there, the scripture says, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that while he was there, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and the day of judgment where every person living or dead will stand before God and give an account of their lives. And John, whether physically or spiritually or both, he had an encounter with someone he knew, but at the same time, he didn't yet fully know. Revelations chapter one, uh, from verse 12 says this, when I turned, this is John, to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like a son of man, wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. And his head and his hair were like white like wool, white as glistening snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet were gleaming like bright metal, as though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And in his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet, as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. And I heard his reassuring voice saying, Don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and I am the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world. The Apostle John, described in the Bible as the beloved of Jesus, who was close to him probably more than any other human, who witnessed his suffering at Gethsemane, who took on the welfare of Mary at the cross. Was he prepared to see his God and friend in a new light, a new revelation, a new picture? Of course he wasn't. His response was to describe as if he was one dead. It was totally new for him. Okay, I'm sure the experience was physically overwhelming, but this wasn't the Jesus he knew. It wasn't. He had witnessed something awesome in his previous encounters, but it, this situation challenged his mindset. It destroyed almost his previous situation. And this morning, friends, um, whether you've walked with the Lord for 60 years, whether you've got a fantastic ministry, you've seen mirac miracles here and there, you've championed progressive social action projects or pioneered new churches, whatever it might be, when the infinite Jesus decides to show a part of himself, a part of his kingdom, a part of his will for you, which you've never known before, you'll never cease to be amazed. Let me tell you, on this occasion, when it happens, these things can mess you up big time. What do I mean? As I said, the way you've done things before, the things that you thought were the rhythm and, and the way, suddenly the cards are back on the table because God says, now it's time for change. Now it's time to see me and things in a new way. And yes, it's going to mess you up big time because you've got comfortable with the last picture that last revelation of who I am and how I've done things. Well, I've just mastered it, Lord. I've, I know what I'm doing. I've I'm, I'm got the track. I, I can do it. I'm an expert at it. I'm no longer an apprentice. But now, says the Lord, we need to move on because the spirit is moving and I'm moving in a different way. But this thing, this new revelation we have initially, as I said, challenges the status quo. It doesn't seem to fit in place. And we try and interpret it in, a, in, a, in our current worldview, the way we live our lives, the way we do church, the way we are happy and comfortable with. But it can cause pain and frustration because it's not in sync with how we've done things before. And for those of you not knowing Christ, if there's anyone here this morning, becoming a Christian 
we'll do that. Uh, it ain't always uh, a nice stroll in the park. As it begins to transform the way you do things, the way you think things, or you once held dear, as Paul said. And the Apostle Peter, who had that amazing revelation of Jesus, when he said that great declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, was commended by Jesus in one mouth, and then the next was rebuked because he used his current mindset, his current state of view, to try and deter Jesus from pursuing the road of the cross. Therefore, this new revelation, this different picture we have, this different Polaroid picture, requires new mindsets, a different worldview, and cannot function with the old, or there can be dire consequences. And Jesus put it this way in uh, Luke chapter 5. He says this, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be poured out, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine is to be put in new skins so that both are preserved. And having a, a new revelation transforms and reforms. And from Jesus' parable, it requires discernment, responsible reformation when communicating it to others in other equally valid revelations. But there are facets of God which we need to consider when we talk about the new wine and the old wineskins because some of those revelations can rub against each other. So you see, this new revelation of we have Jesus, what he wants us to do isn't always easy. And as my late grandmother would say, she would say, sure, because we want things to be easy, right? And um, we want things to flow nicely because we don't like the death part. And we may like the dramatic, miraculous walking in the roses stuff, but the difficulties, the frustrations and misunderstandings we get from those around us and within ourselves can be painful. Verse uh, 39 of Luke 5 says, and no one having drunk old wine straight away wishes for the new, for he says the old is better. How much of us think about the days past Oh, the good old days. Oh, when we did this. Oh, when the glory was there. Oh, when we were at Junction 10, the, the ceiling lifted off and there was no problems and everyone got on. I remember those days. We prefer the old picture. It's familiar to us. We know exactly how it looks. The new picture, the new revelation is unfamiliar and we no longer feel like the mature seasoned pupil but rather the untrained novice out on a limb, feeling our way, and we long for the certainty and comfort that the old wine presented for us. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. Having drunk the old wine or been in receipt of the, the old wine, it's not to say we were in error. It was right for an appointed time. It was right for an appointed season. But now that time has passed, you're presented with something new. Now, last week, this is real time. That's another reason why I pulled this out again. I was given a prophetic picture, a different revelation from a trusted friend. And I felt it was, it was a challenging word because it challenged my Polaroid picture of my ministry, uh, what the Lord has called me to do, 
my image of Jesus for me today. And it was a picture of me, this chap said, standing by a frozen river, not sure of whether the ice would hold my weight. And then it snowed and the snow covered the ice. And then he saw an angel walking ahead of me. And a voice then said to me, dare to tread where the angel has already trod. And he saw me in the picture following suit, going in the footsteps of this, this angel in the snow. And then suddenly, looking down, the ice came to an end and it was clear the angel had walked across, not on the snow or the ice, but on water. A very strange picture. And the friend then went on to interpret it as he felt there was a distinction between faith that felt comfortable and faith that felt uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And a sense that there is more that the Lord wanted you to do. But it wasn't for the faint-hearted. And as I listen to this, part of me says, Lord, well, what more do you want me to do? Really, that was my, my, my immediate reaction. I'm already stretched. And the friend sat back and says, there's more. And in, in part of me sighed because you think, What's, what does that mean? And then a few days later, because I parked that one, and, and that's what you to do. You get, you, know, you get these words from some, some folks, some are, some are flaky, and you've got to park it in the, in the, in the flaky bin, right? But sometimes you write it down and you check it, because sometimes years later, you look back and say, ah, the Lord was speaking to you. So I didn't put that one in the flaky one. I put it down. I wrote it down. But I wasn't given long to, to chew on it. A few days later, at, um, I received a voice message on my mobile. And you know when someone's called you and, and they're out to signal and you get, hello, right? That's what I got. So I only got part of the message, right? But what the bit I got was, um, uh, the city council of Wolverhampton are doing an event for uh, um, young people because of unemployment and we'd like you to say something. That's all I got. So that was Friday. I just, I just parked it. I said, oh, you know, it's a weekend. Let me get on with it. Anyway, I, um, I called the person back and the person said, um, thanks for calling back, Kevin. Really great. Uh, Chief exec wants you to... Um, to um, be part of this uh, summit because Wolverhampton is the capital of youth unemployment in the country. Did you know that? The capital of youth unemployment is Wolverhampton. I says, yeah, it's just a shame, real shame. Let's, let's, you know, let's see what we can do. And um, Kevin, we're bring, putting this big city summit together, the council leaders, the uh, business leaders, the housing associations, et cetera, et cetera. I says, yeah, okay, I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, no, 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 Kevin, we want you to lead this thing, right? So pardon me, I didn't respond straight away like, uh, oh, flip. Can I say that in church? Oh, flip. But inside of me was saying that, right? Is this the thing I'm to step into, listening to this? And I messaged the guy back and, says to, and he says to me this word. He says, are you feeling stretched yet? Right? And I certainly did feel stretched. Because within me, you know, one has 
a degree of natural talent. You've done things before. You can do things. But there come situations where you feel stretched. And I certainly did not feel mentally equipped for what it was and what I did. And um, nonetheless, one, one did it. Maybe you've foreseen in your spirit that something new is coming and you're desperate for it, not knowing how to articulate this frustration. Be assured that God is giving something new. And maybe just for me, folks, I don't know. I somehow feel there's something about where our church is at the moment. that There will be a new revelation, a new picture, a new way of doing things. Perhaps we need to chew that over. When it comes, it may not be with the bright lights of Damascus. It may cause pain and frustration in the short term. And you initially, you initially try to accommodate it in the way you've done things before, in your way of doing uh, life before. But the new may stretch you because new wine stretches the old wineskin. And coming to Christ isn't just about making a one-off decision to follow him. It's a reoccurring lifetime event when we come to him. We don't just set up camp and build a stone fortress. We're to be like spiritual nomads, not getting used to what is the familiar. Yes, we're to enjoy the settings, respect the landscape and its features, but we should always be ready to move onto new locations, new pastures, however unfamiliar, however uncultivated as the Lord leads. And we're to give it time as well. Just because it's frustrating and painful now doesn't mean it will always be that case. God gives us what we need for the moment, what we can handle for a given situation, a grace for a particular habit or a degree of ignorance, but be assured God is a progressive God. The Bible says he moves from glory to glory, revealing to us that God has many facets and limitless depths. And when we, with our peanut-sized imaginations, cannot begin to imagine and grasp him because he's infinite and we are finite. We will then tend to take out our Polaroid of God, that still frame, that snapshot and fix our concept of God and study the picture, it textures, the colors, the scent, every nuance of it and say, here I stand, I cannot be moved. And if that position is our only point of reference to the most high God, irrespective of how spectacular it was, then we're blind. Elohim, the creator. To Job, he was El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. To us, Jesus. And he had many other names which he progressively revealed to mankind, each giving an indication of who he was in the new revelation. Jesus, the saviour. Each not to be held in isolation, but when put together, they make a moving, living icon, not a static picture gives us a broader view of who our God is and how he operates. And as I conclude this morning, friends, I was reminded by this old sermon when our sister Chidi, as I said, gave her testimony and how I shared a similar sermon some 16 years ago. I think again about the Apostle John and the vision he wrote down when he wrote the book of Revelation, book of fantastical, Eschological imageries, descriptions of heavenly beings, living creatures we know about. The Bible says 
those creatures were in front of the throne, in front of a, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, these creatures operated with fantastical faces. But they were saying without ceasing, Holy, holy, holy the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the creatures give glory and honor, the scripture says, and gave thanks when they saw the one on the throne who lives forever. The 24 elders, again, another fantastic sight, fall down before him, the one who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast down their crowns. Now, notwithstanding the strange spectacle, the living creatures, and the vision states, it says that they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, holy. And in my simple brain, friends, I wondered how on earth can they just be saying the same thing over and over and over again? And Sister Chitty brought it back to me because I reasoned at the time that God, like a colorful rotating diamond, revealed a different facet, a different side of himself to the living creatures, causing them each time to be in awe of the infinite. Maybe the Polaroid we have of Jesus needs to be changed because it starts to fray at the edge. It's distorted and insufficient to reveal the true picture of who God is for the situation, the moment we're in now. We need to change. We need to embrace the new picture this morning, friends. And Prophet Isaiah had the same picture when King Uzziah died. He saw him seated on the throne. And he, his response was, woe is me. I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean uh, people. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If this morning, friends, uh, you uh, embrace part of what I've said in terms of the Lord giving something new to you or on the verge of it. I just want to pray for us now. So if you just bow your heads and uh, maybe this is just for me and I'm just, you've, you've been very kind and generous just to hear my, my own internal musings. But um, I've been down the track long enough to know that the Lord reveals new parts of himself on the journey been down the track long enough to know that sometimes we come to points of frustration or indifference that we need something new of the Lord and I pray Lord for my friends here this morning that as you're speaking to folks Lord that they examine whether they've become too comfortable with the way things are that the old wine is that old, but tastes reassuringly pleasant, but at the end of the day is not sufficient for where they're at today or where they need to be. My prayer, my prayer, Holy Spirit, is for, what is my prayer, Lord? My prayer is that people will be courageous, maybe like that image of the angel walking on the water, that we go into uncomfortable faith. Holy Spirit, 
that moves this body of people on, people, the church at Junction 10, corporately, yes, but individually. That the Jesus we see is the Jesus that we need for the circumstances of today in 2021, going into 2022. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've shown us that the God we serve is bigger than our situations, bigger, 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 sufficient to help us overcome the situations that we face today. And Lord, we know sometimes we can not feel great about it. You've told us to go beyond emotions, to embrace the truth. But we've got enough behind us to know, Lord, that you're a faithful God. And for anyone in this room, Lord, who does not know Jesus yet, I pray that they will have the courage to grab me by the, by the arm at the door or Rachel or Joe or anyone that's come with to say, I think I want to know a bit more about this Jesus because the image of God is distorted like an old Polaroid picture and I need to see something new. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.